Welcome to the Miami Dolphins PFN Podcast. I'm Chief Content Officer David DeBearman, along with Miami Dolphins beat writer Adam H. Beasley, reporting live from Radio Row here at Mandalay Bay at Super Bowl 58 in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. Adam, we're at the Super Bowl. The Chiefs are here. The Niners are here. The Miami Dolphins are not. Why are you saying that as if it's newsworthy? It's been four decades since the Miami Dolphins were here. You have to rub it in. Um, <laughs> once again, we are going to go to another Super Bowl. The Miami Dolphins are not present. Miami Dolphins didn't even come close, despite at one point having the best record in the NFL and the AFC. Adam, the big question I have for Dolphin fans out there who have now into their fourth decade without a ring, into their third decade without an appearance, into their lost track of how many years it's been since they've actually played for a chance to go to the Super Bowl. You look at the Niners, you look at the Chiefs, how are they different from the Dolphins? And you go back to a column you wrote a few weeks ago, you're watching these conference championship games and it's quite obvious that the Dolphins don't have the same caliber that those two teams have. Yeah, I mean, the easy answer is quarterback, right? I mean, that's the obvious answer. It's also the right answer. Uh, they don't have Patrick Mahomes, and Patrick Mahomes is becoming the new Tom Brady of the AFC, and that's bad news for the Miami Dolphins because every year Tom Brady was in one way or another a roadblock for them. Uh, didn't even get to the postseason very often because they would lose enough games in the regular season to not even matter. Uh, it's bad for a conference if you're not on the team with one of those top guys. Uh, and Patrick Mahomes is going for his third Super Bowl MVP. Uh, we talked on a previous podcast about how that would put him in the rarest of air for quarterbacks. Uh, only Tom Brady and, and, and um, I was going to say Dan Marino, but that's right. absolutely not true. Joe Montana. <laughs> Joe Montana have done that. Uh, and it's really, really hard when you're starting that far behind the eight ball. But that's not the only reason. I mean, you go look, you know, broaden the lens some, and the Niners don't have a quarterback of that caliber. They still, I think, at this point, have a better quarterback than the Dolphins do. The Dolphins fans might like not like hearing that, but I think it's the truth. But beyond that, organizationally, they have a complete team, um, and they have a really, really good coach. Um, and and the Dolphins might have those things, but they they're not mature yet, and that's the thing. The, the, the Niners have built, been building that culture for a long time. Uh, look, I mean, the, the beginning of the Shanahan era was hot garbage. Well, they win six games his first year, two or three his second. You know, the, the Garoppolo injury didn't help that. But then the year after that, they were in the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. Don't tell me the Dolphins don't have that kind of quarterback that can at least give you what Garoppolo did. Uh, they've built a really good culture in San Francisco. They've got really good players. And they got a really smart coach, and it's hard to do that. You need those combination of things if you don't have an elite quarterback. Dolphins at this point don't have either. Our call in line ringing off the hook once Adam said that Tua is not as good as Brock Purdy. Anyhow, so you mentioned Tua. You, you I mean, the facts are facts, my friend. And, and, it, and it's not just the quarterback. Obviously, you saw the defense collapse late in the year due to injuries and, and all that stuff. You got Mike Big Daniel, two years as a Dolphins coach, two playoff appearances, but zero wins. The numbers are not going to get any better for salary cap reasons. Obviously, we can get into the Tua contract later in the show. But there's a lot of other big contracts out there, like the bill's coming due. So walk us through what they have, what they need to do, and what they have to do to maintain the fact that, listen, the team that won 11 games last year, they lost to AFC East on a division tiebreaker because they couldn't beat the Buffalo Bills and still can't beat the Buffalo Bills. 
they had a three-game lead with five to go to do something that they hadn't done in 15 years. So it's not all black sky. No. So what do they need to do to maintain the fact that they went from nine wins and a road playoff game to 11 wins and they should have hosted a playoff game to what they do in 2024 and on with their cap situation? Well, the short answer is play an easy schedule. That had a big part of them winning 11 games. Um, you look at their splits versus good teams versus bad teams, and I didn't buy into the narrative early on, and I'm buying into it now. So that's a big part of it. I think the schedule will be a touch harder next year. Uh, they did, in a weird way, catch a break by not winning the division because uh, it means you know, they will avoid all the number one teams from the other divisions and in the NFC, and in the NFC North. Um, so that helps. But they, they have real concerns now. Back-to-back years, the offense has disappeared once you hit December, January. And they've got to figure that out. And Mike McDaniel's got to spend this offseason figuring that out. Do teams have a beat on him by that? You know, there's, there, there have been kind of like a cycle now, like a, a, a pattern we've seen about how McDaniel spends the entire offseason drawing up these plays that are just jaw-droppingly good. And I think we should take a second to acknowledge the fact that you go and watch, you watch the college football Final Four, and Washington was running Miami Dolphins plays, right? There is, there's a reason people are stealing their stuff. It's really smart. But if that's, if you don't have a second punch, if that's what you are and no more than that, that's a problem. Like if, if, if teams take away what your tendencies are, say that you do, and you don't have an answer, you're going to be one and done the playoffs. So you look at their offense the last two years, you make the point that it has disappeared. You know, last year, the excuse was Tua got injured. Dolphins won a five-game tailspin. Tua comes back, get injured again. Third-string quarterback. Teams have caught up to the Dolphins. You, you saw the, the, the back-to-back games where the Niners and the Chargers shut them down. But then you fast-forward to 2023, and the offense got through a lot of that. There were, they continued to go on a record pace until, once again, the end of the year. But this time, you had the quarterback healthy. You didn't have any issues on offense with health other than Mostert missing a few games. And obviously you had Waddle miss a game near the end of the season. But for the most part, the offense was healthy. So what does McDaniel need to do to maintain the fact that you can score 70, albeit an aberration, in September, but you can't score 14 in a playoff game. And you can't score three touchdowns versus the Bills in in a game that you need to have you melt down against Tennessee, which arguably cost them their season. What changed? I mean, the talent's there. What are the missing pieces? Or is it? Is, I don't know if those pieces all fit, and we'll see. I mean, they were all in the Pro Bowl. No, that's fair. There are you have all kinds of teams. His long history of teams that have all the talent in the world, and the pieces just don't fit. And we don't know if Tyreek and Waddle fit well together. There's some evidence suggesting that maybe they don't. Would they benefit more by having a seam-busting tight end who can score your touchdowns in the red zone uh, and move the chains and be a big welcoming target, a la Travis Kelsey? Would that? I mean, certainly, those guys are few and far between. But is that what this offense is missing? Power running. Why do they get away from running between the tackles when evidence suggests that they can do it pretty well? Why they stopped doing that? All kinds of questions. Did did McDaniel outthink himself down the stretch? Did Tua just completely hit a wall? Did you know? Did he freak out? I mean, I don't think we're these guys aren't robots. So there are times that your your you know your mentals aren't there. Um, was that was that an issue with Tyreek or, or Tua? Tyreek had some bad games and big games. Uh, all these things are questions that they need answers to this offseason. So there are some people that need to get paid. Christian Wilkins is out there as a free agent, going to demand a lot of money. Uh, Armstead, we don't know if he's coming back or not, if he's going to retire. 
you got two more years on the Tyreek Hill contract. You have Tua on his fifth-year option. It's a lot of money questions you got around this team. Where do you think they go, and what do you think they do, or what do you think they should do? Well, they're $50 million over the cap, so first thing they need to do is figure out how to make that zero or you know plus because they're going to need to sign players as well. Uh, there will be players that were on this team this year that will surprise you that are not going to be on the team next year. Um, might be Teron Armstead. Might be Jalen Waddle. Might be players that are cornerstone members of this franchise that they're not going to be able to afford. And Christian Wilkins has a slim chance of being a Miami Dolphin in 2024. I think the most likely scenario is they find a way to, 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 to tag and trade him. So they get some value this year out of Christian Wilkins. Um, but yeah, their, their offensive line, big, big issues. Like, who's your left tackle going to be? Maybe Armstead, maybe not. You don't know who your center is going to be. They have a lot of concerns. And usually when you have those concerns, is because you don't have a lot of good players and your cap situation's okay. They have a lot of good players. They just can't afford to keep them. So they need to figure out what they're doing now. Now they have a defensive coordinator in Anthony Weaver. Now they know that they're going to have continuity in the coaching staff on the offensive side. With Frank Smith, he's not going to be a head coach somewhere. They need to figure out who their identity is going to be in 2024 and build the roster around that. So you mentioned Anthony Weaver. The last couple of weeks, the Dolphins went through their D.C. search. Obviously, the Vic Fangio error didn't end well, and we've read all of the stories about the players and the coaches, and we'll save that for another day. Tell us a little bit about Anthony Weaver and, and what mark he can make on this defense, which you know is a very talented defense if they bring everybody back and if they come back healthy. Uh, first, full disclosure, I used to play Madden football with Anthony Weaver when he was a player because he and I were in the league as rookies the first year the same year, 2002. 22 years ago now, he was drafted by the Baltimore Ravens, and I started out as my four years there uh, as their web writer. So I have known T. Weave forever. The guy you see now is the guy that I saw then, genuine, uh, ambitious, uh, very enthusiastic, an infectious personality, all those things that you have heard about, they're true. Do I know if you can call a defense? We'll find out. He had one year in Houston, didn't go great. They were limited from a personnel standpoint. But clearly, Mike McDaniel thought they needed a culture fit at that job, that you couldn't just bring in another renegade, you know, uh, who's, who's going to think he's the head coach of the defense, not take input the way he should, and, and treat some of his players like crap. Me personally, I would have tried to keep Vic. I would have because I think the, the pluses outweigh the minuses. Not every player has to love every coach. Now, if behind the scenes there was true, you know, there, it was, you know, undermining uh, Vic towards McDaniel, if he, there is insubordination, then I understand why they moved on. But just because Vic wasn't happy and that some players weren't happy, look, it's easy to break up. It's harder to make it work. They should have tried to make it work. Clearly, they thought that was not tenable and they moved on. Weaver, I think, is going to have a different look for them from a defensive schematic standpoint. They run a lot of multiple fronts. Uh, they bring blitzes in ways that Vic Banjo didn't love doing. So I think if you're if philosophically for talking about the defense, it's going to be more like what they saw under Brian Flores and Josh Boyer than what they saw under Vic Fangio. Uh, I think that's a good thing, particularly because you don't know how you're going to generate pass rush early in the season. You have your best two pass rushers coming off of uh, IR, big major injuries. Uh, and Andrew Van Ginkle might be gone. He's a free agent. So they're going to have to find a way to generate pass rush. I think Weaver is a good pick from that regard. So this is going to be the third year of the Mike McDaniel era. Mike McDaniel, obviously an offensive guru. 
This will also be the third different defensive coordinator that Mike McDaniel has had. You go back to the Brian Flores era, or Brian Flores was a defensive guru, and have we've seen that since. Brian Flores had three different offensive coordinators in a Brian Flores era that didn't work. Do the Dolphins have an identity crisis when it comes to picking the right coordinator to go and be the yin to the yang, where Flores needed an offensive guy and couldn't find one, ultimately was fired. This will be McDaniel's third shot at a defensive coordinator. Is there something missing at the Chris Greer level that you can port to that the Dolphins can't find that complimentary coach that does what the head coach cannot do? I think they're two completely different situations. The reason Flores had issues with an off- assembling an offensive staff is he didn't have very many contacts. You look at his career tra- trajectory, before he came to Miami, his entire career was spent with New England. That's why you saw, oh, was it, uh, O'Shea, Chad O'Shea is their first OC. He, he came with him from a New England, bad mistake. Uh, year two, they, what did they bring out of retirement? They had, uh, who was the old head they had? Uh, Jan Gailey, yep, uh, that was kind of a desperation move. Uh, and then they were stuck. They're entering year three, Flores didn't have an answer. And it, and here's a dirty little secret. People knew that Flores was hard to get along with. Like he really, really weighed on his coaching staff. So it's hard to attract a top talent when you think they're gonna get yelled at every single day. McDaniel's a different situation. They kind of forced him to keep Josh Boyer uh, as, part of the, uh, as part of the agreement to have him as their new head coach. Uh, and then Vic Fangio, when, they, when Boyer didn't work out, Vic Fangio was the best potential candidate. Like they, you know, they got their home run higher. He just didn't like it here. So I don't know if that's a failure in McDaniel. We'll see now with Weaver. Weaver is a guy he's known for years. He is a culture fit. We'll see if it works. If it doesn't work now, I think those questions are valid. I think at the, up to this point, it's just a coincidence that both have had the same issue. So thinking back to the Fangio decision where it wasn't going to be Captain Obvious that he wasn't going to be a perfect culture fit. You watched Hard Knocks for eight weeks and you saw the difference in the two. Was Were the Dolphins and McDaniel blind to the fact that it wasn't going to be a good mix and they just wanted the system and they wanted to go get the highest paid guy and they wanted to get him from Philadelphia? It, were, they, were they just starstruck or was there really something there that they thought would make that defense what it should have been? Well, it did. They were right. You look at the defense, and certainly they wilted against the best teams, so they, they weren't an elite defense, but they were a vastly improved defense year over year. I mean, vastly improved. Uh, and so, from I think from a holistic standpoint, it was the right move. Now, should they have hired a guy that never wanted to be there? Yeah, certainly I, certainly I get that criticism for sure. But it's not like Vic Fangio was a failure, failure in Miami. He just was a bad culture fit and didn't want to be there anymore. So um, again, I think you really, if, if Mike biffs it on this hire, because Josh Boyer wasn't his hire, like that was forced on him. If he biffs it on this hire, I think it's really a trend. Now you go through the entire search, ended up with Anthony Weaver. There were rumors Brandon Staley and other guys were out there. Recap the search for us and what you heard and what they were looking for and why they chose Anthony Weaver over a Brandon Staley, who may or may not have been a serious candidate. We may never know. He was the one that was talked about the most as he is a clear DC instead of a head coach. What were you hearing from the DC coaching search? This is really the big thing that has taken up the Dolphins offseason. The only thing I was told is this, is that 
Mike wasn't going to go into it with any preconceived notions. And he wasn't going to hire a guy just because he worked with him. And certainly you look at the candidate list and five of the seven, I think, were people he had worked with before. And one that he didn't was Brandon Staley, who is the same QB Collective family. And he has known Brandon Staley for years and years and years and years. So uh, the vast majority of it, I think Chris Shula was the only one he had never worked with. And Shula was also, you know, McVeigh, you know, protege and he kind of been in those circles as well. Uh, but they wanted to have, oh, oh, Leslie Frazier, completely off the radar. That was an interesting interview. Uh, not someone who he had worked with before in the past. Um, that, that was a bit interesting. Uh, but you kind of look at the different styles. Some people wanted to play the Tampa 2 too deep defense. Some wanted, like Anthony Weaver, to have more aggressive and bring your safety to the box and all that. Um, but I, I, I think McDaniel was willing to be a sponge in this and, and pick a guy that he felt had to give him, gave him the best chance to win. I don't know the details as to why he picked him over Brandon Staley. We haven't had a chance to talk to Mike yet. We'll get him in the combine in a few weeks, and we'll get some clarity on that. Uh, but it is interesting to me that he went with a guy that wasn't Staley. Staley would have been the easy, obvious choice considering his experience and the success he had. I'd like to get the answer as to why Weaver won and Staley did not. As we wrap up the podcast live from Mandalay Bay. We're not going to talk about Pro, Pro Bowl at all? Oh, sure. You were at the Pro Bowl. Yes. What was it? Come on. The no. There were some interesting stories. Yes. Right on my screen. Yes. Trying to, was at the Pro Bowl. Trying to rush me out the door here, Behrman. Hey, you yeah. smell the wings? They're pretty good. At great expense from, you know, PFN CEO Matt Canato. We spent a weekend in Orlando. I better talk about it. Adam was at the Pro Bowl. What were your big takeaways from the world's greatest event? Well, I mean, I'm going to talk about the Dolphins' takeaways, and it's this, is that contract extension seems likely to get done with Tua Tungabailoa this offseason. There have been talks. There will continue to be talks. Tua thinks it's going to happen this offseason. The question is, A, what's the AAV, and B, what's the guaranteed money? We'll find out both those things. I've been on record that I wouldn't pay him more than $45 million annually, no more than $100 million fully guaranteed. We'll see if the Dolphins go higher. Uh, it was an interesting week because Tyreek was kind of Tyreek again. Um, and by what, that, I mean, that mean, well, he, okay, let's be honest about Tyreek. He's an overgrown kid. <laughs> like he's got some knucklehead tendencies. All right. And I think they're well established and some cross the line more than shenanigans to actual, you know, bad behavior. Sure. Um, but by and large, he just does things that kind of make you scratch your head and he's, he's a big kid. Um, blew off the first night of the Pro Bowl. Was, not, was supposed to be in the dodgeball competition. Didn't show up, just did not show up. So we got him the next day, we talked to him a bit. Um, and just the more I've thought about it, I mean, he's talking about what needs to be done year three. Year three might be it for Tyreek Hill and the Miami Dolphins. And Why some, do you think so? Well, you look at the, you, A, you look at kind of the headaches and you know slapping a marina worker in the back of the neck and you know, some of, some of his histrionics, we'll say, can wear a bit thin. And he might start, at some point, diminishing as a player. And that's obviously the number one thing. Sure. Uh, his year, I think he's going to be 30 this year. Uh, that, three years left on his deal. That is all three years left on his deal, including 2024. Right. 2004, 2025, 2026. Uh, but you look at the finances of those deals, are they going to be able to keep him and Waddle both? Seems unlikely a long-term both are going to be here. So which one would you rather have? 25, 26-year-old uh, guy who's still ascending or a 30-year-old guy who might be the best 
offensive player in the entire league right now, but where is he going to be in two, three years? Those are questions they're going to have to ask. Um, you know, he's got an enormous cap number this year, $31.3 million cap figure, uh, but there's an out in 2025. However, if they do one of the restructures to free up cap space to lower that number from 31 to maybe like a 10 or 11, it kicks that can down the road. It makes it that much harder to get rid of them next year. I really feel like to me that this is the last year of this core's window, that there will be some of these younger players that they'll extend, they'll keep through, but Armstead, if he comes back, certainly this will be his last year. Tyreek, who is owed, by the way, $45 million in cash in 2026, he's never going to see that. That is unrealistic. Maybe this is his last year. I think there's a real chance it is. Uh, you know, you, you broaden the lens more. Jalen Ramsey, how long, much longer is he going to be playing at this level? Xavier Howard, if he's back this year, it's probably his last year. So a lot of these stars that you saw from this, this past year and the past two years, are gonna be phased out. The question is, can the Dolphins continue? They've always talked about sustainability. Can they bridge that to the new generation of stars, get through the cap pain that they'll have to, and land in a place where they can go and get the next Tyreek Hill in two, three years? That's the way they have to manage. And I think it would be an enormous mistake for them to look at this past season, you know, like, you know what, we're close. A couple of minor tweaks, we're gonna go win the Super Bowl. They weren't particularly close to the Kansas City Chiefs. They were not particularly close to the Buffalo Bills this year. They weren't even the same zip code as the Baltimore Ravens this year, right? If you have a pretty keen sense that this group isn't going to get there, what are you doing? Like start figuring out a soft landing so you can get to a place where not, re, you know, not rebuild, but retool, reload. And I think Tyreek is going to be one of the first casualties of that and it would not at all surprise me if 2024 is his last season. So now you're past the Pro Bowl, and a couple of nights you and I have the distinct honor of going to NFL Honors. Mm -hmm. Which Dolphins do you think will take home any hardware on Thursday night? And I fully admit that this was a complete curveball question that was not on the agenda. Well, no one's the answer. No, one. yeah, no one's getting it. No, two is not going to be Comeback Player of the Year because DeMar Hamlin's exists. Right. And uh, Tyreek, I guess, has an outside shot at Offensive Player of the Year. But the heavy, heavy, heavy money has been on Christian McCaffrey. And I think the way that, that, that Tyreek faded down the stretch in the biggest games will be a reason uh, that he doesn't win it. And one more point, Tyreek, he didn't show up in those big games. Are you going to continue to commit to a guy? Like, he, he had some legacy games, and those legacies were bad as a Miami Dolphin. I think he knows that, he understands that. If he wants to be here in 2025, he's got to show up in those games. And it's also a reason I don't think he's going to win anything on Thursday night. $45 million is a lot of money to give. It's to a him. lot of money for a quarterback. It's an obscene amount of money to give to a wide receiver. What do you think eventually happens? You, you mentioned the, the Tua contract. You mentioned you think they're going to extend them. That's what you're hearing. It's now August 2024. Tua's the quarterback. What does the situation look like? August 24, 2024, uh, he will have been offered an extension that will be not resetting the market, that will still be in excess of 40 to $45 million, will give him a lot of guaranteed money. And if he's smart, he will take it because he has no better situation than the Miami Dolphins. Mike McDaniel is the perfect coach for his skill set. He is the perfect coach for his temperament. He needs a guy who's a rah-rah guy. He cannot go to a Brian Flores type. Miami is one of very few places where it's warm all year round the National Football League, 
I guess you could move to a, go to a, a stadium with a dome, but if you go to say Detroit, still got to play in Chicago, yep. still got to play in Green Bay, yep. they still got to play in a lot of cold weather cities. Um, so I, I think the list is very small. Maybe Atlanta of, of, of teams that you know Tua would go to. But here's the thing: Tua also knows that they have his rights for two more years because of the franchise tag. So he is he knows that the Dolphins know that they can pay him. $135 million over the next three years. What's that? $45 million a year. If they offer you that contract, just take it. Take it, buy it out, and move on. Yep. That's going to do it for the Miami Dolphins PFN podcast. Adam Beasley, David Behrman, we're here at Mandalay Bay in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada for Super Bowl 58. We'll be here all week entertaining guests and interviewing people, and then Adam will have columns throughout media night, Super Bowl, etc. Make sure you tune in at ProFootballNetwork.com. Mm-hmm.